Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, joined by Aaron Keller over Zoom. And today we are also joined by Endow Wildlife Vet, Nate LaHue. And the reason I'm stumbling on his name there is we were just talking about how to pronounce his name right before we started this. But lucky you have a pretty easy name to pronounce, Nate. Um, thank you so much for joining us for the very first time. Well, thank you so much for having me. Of course. And you actually started, so I, we were talking about it beforehand. We had Perry um, on former podcasts last year and she's our former wildlife veterinarian and now you started with the agency and you're still pretty pretty new i want to say yeah i started last uh february so i'm still in my first year here that went by fast <laughs> it did it's it's been an interesting time to start a new position um i had about I think a month of normalcy before we all went into lockdown. That's that's a crazy time to start a job, especially a job like yours where you're working with wildlife and <laughs> you had to work from home. So Yeah, and it certainly put uh, wildlife health on the map. That's very true, which is why we wanted to bring you in today. So um, could you explain, well, what is your role at Endo? I mean, we, we've said it, you're a wildlife veterinarian, but what, what do you do exactly? Yeah, so um, as the wildlife veterinarian or the wildlife health specialist, um, my job is to kind of oversee and investigate wildlife health in the state. So um, that means running a number of different projects, um, investigating wildlife health, um, that uh, impact our wildlife. Um, I'm based in the game division, so a lot of that does focus on our game animals, um, but I do work closely with other divisions as well. Um, and then I also provide veterinary expertise to the department. So that includes things like training um, biologists and game wardens on chemical mo mobilization of wildlife. Uh, it includes uh, supporting uh, our teams at the at uh, big game captures, um, taking a lot of bio uh, biological samples, um, you know, treating any animals that we have issues with, say at the captures, and um, generally trying to uh, keep an eye out for um, any potential wildlife um, uh, disease issues in the state. So um, we have, uh, we partner with the Department of Agriculture, so we share their lab space um, up in Sparks, and we do wildlife mortality investigations. We do quite a number of necropsies a year um, and a large number of disease sampling across a variety of species. And uh, I also kind of um, advise any policy changes or advise uh, recommendations based on any potential disease issues. So very important job. And as you explained, it's kind of been highlighted uh, the importance of this just right now with COVID-19 and everything. Yeah, yeah, it really has. I mean, I, we, um, 
there's been a lot of concern with COVID-19 passing to animals. Um, and, and since we deal with wildlife and obviously, especially with bats, uh, since beta coronaviruses do come from uh, old world bats, um, not our North American species, um, there was concern about transmission. And so a lot of, we looked at a lot of guidance documents and put out some guidance documents on wildlife handling uh, in regards to COVID-19 to play it kind of extra on the safe side and, and protect wildlife from any possible effects of, of COVID-19. And then how did you end up at Endow? <laughs> well, it, it's kind of a long story. Um, I have always been interested in, in wildlife and doing wildlife medicine. And so um, I, when I was in veterinary school, I did a lot of externships or rotations with state agencies. Um, and then, you know, you have to do a little bit of private practice. So I did large animal for a little while. Um, I worked overseas working on mongoose TB um, research um, in Botswana and did a little bit of small animal practice. And then I, um, before I was here, I was actually in the public health realm. Um, I worked on uh, human exposure to um, uh, toxicants through um, sport fish consumption. So um, things, you know, if you're fish in certain areas around Nevada, you're probably familiar with some of the consumption advisories, a lot of those are based on mercury. Um, and uh, in Wisconsin, where I was, we have uh, mercury and we have a lot of other emerging contaminants of concern. So um, in, including PCBs, perfluorinated compounds, that sort of thing. And so that's where I was uh, before getting this job. Nice, gosh, you have such a, I don't even know how to explain it. You've, got, you've dealt with a lot of different places, wildlife. Yeah health issues it sounds like so that's pretty cool Aaron were you going to say something yeah I was just going to say that I think it's kind of a cool path the way that you've kind of gone around and so when you were working on the sport fish stuff is that when you kind of the idea to kind of jump to to this side of the fence I would say uh no I'd always kind of wanted to jump to this side of the fence but uh uh finding jobs it's, you know, it's a, it's a small field. And so kind of had to write, wait for the right thing to come along. I was also, um, it's, it's not something that comes up in an area where you specifically are, you generally have to move uh, for a job like this. And uh, my now wife was in a residency in Wisconsin. So um, it was the closest thing to doing wildlife I could find and, and, and still be there with her. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because you're, Nate, you're, you're our only wildlife health specialist, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, uh, they're becoming more and more common. Um, Nevada has had a wildlife health specialist since 2006, I believe. Um, some states have more than one, um, but, and you know, as, as you guys know, Endow is one of the smaller uh, departments uh, in the country, especially in terms of how much land uh, we're responsible for. Right. Yeah, we say it all the time. You know, we're the smallest little agency. You know, and so what? What takes up most of your time? I guess, like, what's your day to day look like being a wildlife health specialist? Yeah. So it it really depends. It depends a lot of time of year. Um, you know, with the fall hunting season, um, right now I've been pretty um, wrapped up in chronic wasting disease surveillance, which we're gonna no talk about a little later. 
Um, and as that kind of peters out, um, we're starting to get onto our big game capture season. Um, so we're going to start with captures, uh, hopefully first week of December, we're going to have some probably in January and February. So that and doing a lot of that, uh, that big game capture work, um, as you can imagine for one day of big game captures, there's a lot of planning, um, and preparation that goes into that. So it's not just the day it's, it's. Um, planning, preparing, um, all throughout the year, we always have uh, mortality investigations. So we'll get um, biologists or game wardens or the public that uh, submit wildlife, um, dead wildlife to us and we try to figure out why it died and, and if there's potentially any disease issues um, going on. And that and that's sporadically all throughout the year. Um, yeah, we'll occasionally respond to, you know, human wildlife conflict or, or, or urban wildlife issues. Um, if we're in the area, we um, give a lot of advice um, of what to do. Um, you know, I would say a, a decent chunk of my time because is spent on bighorn sheep work. Um, and that's because besides Nevada, you know, having one of the better um, more diverse populations of bighorn sheep. Um, it also is a, a, a rare species in that the disease is the main limiting factor for their population performance and their population growth. So working on bighorn sheep pneumonia um, does take up uh, quite a lot. Uh, uh, several of our captures are going to be involved in bighorn sheep work and, um, and sampling bighorn sheep for disease this winter. Um, we're also translocating some animals and uh, um, you know, so there's quite a, there's quite a lot of variety, um, in what I do. I, it, no day is really the same. I was going to say, it's, you probably never know what you're going to come into when you come to work. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes I do, and then I think I do, and then everything yeah. changes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, that's, we may have to bring you in for another podcast during capture season, because that's always an interesting topic. Um, Aaron, what were you going to say? I can always tell when uh, you're going to talk because you come off mute. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I got all my stuff going on in the background with the kids and the dogs and things like that, so I stay on mute. But uh, yeah, I was just going to say that your planning and your, your training or whatever you want to call it for upcoming things is ongoing, right? I mean, it's constantly not changing, but you're probably having to learn new techniques and new medicines or whatever that is all the time. Yeah, yeah. So we're, you know, I, as I mentioned the last couple of days, I've been at a conference. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm, there's conferences to go to and I have to learn a lot of stuff. Um, to be licensed as a veterinarian, you're required to get a certain number of continuing education hours. Um, a year or every other year. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's always new things. There's always things changing. Um, we have, you know, researchers we collaborate with as well um, that we try to keep up with and, and, and that are often on the cutting edge. And so um, can kind of inform a lot of the management decisions that we make. Yeah, we had brought you in to do a um, chronic wasting disease, which you had mentioned podcast, but then I was thinking, I'm like, your position is so interesting. You're interesting. <laughs> You're good at yeah, talking, it's, so it's fun to talk about everything while we have you here. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely a really interesting um, 
diverse position. It's certainly nothing you'd ever get bored at, for sure. <laughs> exactly. Well, like I said, we will get into chronic wasting disease since that's something keeping you busy this time of year. Um, but we are going to take a quick break. You are listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we are talking with Nate LaHue. He is our wildlife veterinarian at Endow. We talked all about his unique position right before the break, but we've been saying we want to talk about chronic wasting disease. This is something that keeps him busy this time of year. So Nate, do you want to explain what it is? Because it's important information for hunters to know, especially hunting out of state. Yeah, so um, first I'll say that uh, we do not have chronic wasting disease in Nevada as far as we know at this point in time. So chronic wasting disease is what we call a transmissible spongiform encephalopathy or TSE, or also known as a prion disease. And other diseases like this, the one people are most familiar with is mad cow disease um, that uh, took over Europe for a while. Um, and what it is is actually a, uh, a protein that is misfolded. And when it gets into, when an animal ingests it, it goes to the nervous system and it actually causes other proteins to misfold as well. And it creates these plaques in the nervous system, almost a little bit like Alzheimer's or a dementia disease does. And these plaques grow over time and eventually um, the animal becomes severely debilitated. It can't move and feed properly. Um, it becomes really emaciated. Um, so very skinny and that's why, we, that's why it's called chronic wasting uh, disease. And then eventually can, will die from the disease. Um, the issue um, with this too is that these prions, because it's a protein, it doesn't have DNA, it doesn't have RNA like a bacteria or virus. Um, they're incredibly hardy. They can last for several years in the environment and they're also very slowly progressive. So it takes about over, it takes over a year for um, between an animal getting infected and until they really show any clinical signs. Um, and so part of the problem with that is during that year plus, they're shedding this protein through urine, through feces, through saliva um, in the landscape. Um, and then when they die, that carcass, um, you know, is a source of that misfolded protein. And so it's once uh, CWD is present, it's, it's almost impossible to eradicate. The only state that's been able to eradicate it uh, is New York. They had a tiny outbreak associated with a uh, white-tailed deer farm. They had an escape, they eradicated the farm, and then they basically eradicated everything immediately within a 10 mile radius and were able to eradicate the disease. Um, but that's having a really early start. So for a state like Nevada, where it's gonna come in through either movement of people or through uh, movement of deer or elk. Uh, it is, um, we, 
you know, it's, it's going to be a lot longer until we detect it. So, and all cervids generally are susceptible. So that includes white-tailed deer, mule deer, elk, moose, um, caribou and reindeer. They're all susceptible to this disease. Um, and so a lot of our work is, you know, even if we may not be able to eradicate it if it comes in Nevada, we want to be able to get a handle on it and um, control it because we can try to control its movement. We can also control how prevalent or, or what percentage of the animals have it in an area. Um, and so we're doing surveillance. Um, every hunting season, we use hunter killed animals, um, generally mostly on the east side of the state. Um, it is the closest area to us is in uh, central Utah. And we do have some migratory herds that go between uh, Nevada and Utah. And so we're focusing on that eastern side of the state um, to try to get samples. So if it does show up, um, we can detect it earlier. Can we can uh, mount an aggressive response. Um, since uh, as most of people listening to this will know, our mule deer herds um, have been declining. And so they certainly don't uh, need something else on top of the habitat and other issues that they're already dealing with. Um, and so part of this, if you are hunting this year, uh, you can help by submitting a CWD sample. We already had all our check stations. Um, we sampled about 70 at the check station, about another 75, 80 through other sources. So we're about halfway to our goal of 300. Um, so you can tell your taxidermist or your meat processor to send us a sample. Um, taxidermist and meat processors can actually get paid. They, we, uh, they can set up a contract with Endow um, to get $10 per sample. Or if you're just a, a hunter, you wanna get that, call your local Endow office um, and organize meeting up with a biologist for them to take that sample. Uh, we take uh, a brainstem uh, from the skull and then uh, what we call retropharyngeal lymph nodes. So it's just kind of behind the jawbone. Um, the other really important thing um, to, to know is that we really want to prevent, uh, prevention's key. We want to prevent it from getting in Nevada. So uh, in 2019, uh, the legislature passed transport restrictions. So if you are hunting out of state, um, there's some transport restrictions you need to know. Basically, you can't bring in any brain tissue. So you can't bring in, um, you can, you know, you can bring in the meat, um, but you can't bring in the spinal column. Um, you can't bring in the head unless it's taxidermied um, or on its way to being taxidermied. So cleaned out, uh, no tissue at all can be attached to that head um, when it comes uh, across that state line. Um, you can bring in uh, canines, ivories, uh, you can bring in, so taxidermied mounts are okay. Um, you know, obviously your quarters without the spine attached is okay. Um, a cleaned uh, skull plate free of any tissue um, is okay. But anything else, don't bring it in. And the, the other thing, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, want to do European mounts. And um, so, you know, people want to bring that hole in. Uh, we really just, you know, try to get it mounted outside. Um, I've seen videos now recently of people blasting brains out at the car wash. Um, please definitely don't do that in Nevada. And we really encourage you not to do that, you know, on the, you know, in the Utah side of Wendover, because, you know, those herds are moving with our herds. And so know that when you're blasting out brain, uh, you know, with a hose, you're, you're potentially spreading CWD prions um, all over the environment. So, you know, um, have someone help you clean it. Um, 
there's tools now you can use that are uh, available online to help clean the brain out and start you on your way to a European mount that you can do in the field um, as you know before you leave camp to um, um, or or better yet uh, take it to a taxidermist um, out you know out in the state that you're hunting in um, especially you know we have a lot of people that go uh, to Colorado and Colorado has really high prevalence of CWD in certain hunt units. That's yeah, I, yeah, I was gonna say, Nate. A lot of a lot of folks, when they know they're gonna be going on a hunt like that, talk to your talk to your taxidermist beforehand, and they can probably set you up with some of those tools or some of those techniques to get that done in the field. And then you'll be that much. I mean, you'll be ahead of the game when you get up there. And if you are successful, hopefully, um, you can just take care of it there. And then exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, don't yeah. don't wait until you've been really successful and you got a nice buck you want to mount to figure out what you need to do with it. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to take the skull plate and the cape and they, you know, they get out there, they get an animal they weren't expecting, they've changed their mind, they want to get a shoulder mount and they don't know what to do. So, you know, go out prepared if you're going out of state, um, you know, look up how to cape your animal out appropriately so that you can bring in, um, you know, uh, a a nice clean cape and skull plate uh, that's, you know, free of anything for CWD and is ready to be taxidermy. Right. And when I was um, trying to explain it to somebody that didn't really know what CWD was, the best way I explained it was it's like an alien. It's like, it's so, it's such a weird thing to explain to somebody that um, like, even if they bring their head home and then they skull cap it and take that brain and skull to the middle of the desert, and throw it out it can live for like years years like yeah please please so long. please don't do that uh, <laughs> yeah state um one i you know if you bring in a, you know um is it's illegal um and two you know you're just putting our deer herd at risk now you know the other thing is if if you're listening to this podcast and you went hunting and you got a head in your freezer that you're planning on mounting and you're wondering, oh shoot, what should I do with that? Give us a call. Um, we will help you uh, make sure you get the skull cap and we'll take the head. We have an incinerator. Uh, we'll get the rest of that carcass that with that nervous tissue incinerated, make sure it's not going out in the landscape and we'll take care of it for you. So, you know, if you, if you're, if you're uh, have something like that or your, your buddy's like, oh yeah, I brought the whole head back because it was easier give us a call. We'll help you sort it out and, and help you prevent it from getting and make sure it's not getting out on the landscape. Right. And I want to make sure that we make a point. It's, it's not just out of state hunters coming into Nevada. It could be somebody going from Eastern Nevada to Western Nevada. If we have that in central Utah, you know, and if yeah. it does make it into Nevada's herd, you kill a buck here or there and bring it over to Western Nevada or Southern Nevada. I mean, it's the same thing. You're still spreading or you're potentially spreading you know that is not in the regulation so legally right. you can do that um it's always better to be as clean as possible so you know we don't expect people that you have to clean everything in the field um especially if you are going to euro mount it or something but um at least you know in nevada um always better to um put whatever you're not using especially with any nervous tissue at least in a in a trash bag and um put it in the landfill rather than throwing it out um, on the desert. But certainly anything out of state where we know, you know, that's the biggest concern because um, 
that's where there's CWD. Um, and and uh, especially places like uh, parts of the Midwest, uh, Colorado, um, there's some areas, I mean, there's hunt units in Colorado where 50% of your mature bucks uh, have CWD. And actually, similar to where I was in Wisconsin, our next county over, 50% of the mature bucks out there had chronic wasting disease. So there are places with incredibly high um, infection rates that, uh, you know, you shoot a buck out there, there's a 50-50% chance if you bring that back that you're bringing it back in, in Nevada. Exactly. And we actually, if you go to um, endow.org, Nevada Wildlife, there's a health and disease page and one is um, dedicated, one of the health and diseases pages is dedicated to CWD. And it actually, it nicely breaks down that regulation um, and lists just a bunch of other information. You'll see check stations on there. We've already done the check stations. Um, we just finished last weekend, but be on the lookout for more next year. Next year we'll yeah. come around and yeah, we generally run the month of October. Um, so we've, this is the third year we've done it. Um, it was a little bit slow this year, um, mostly because the hunting season was pretty slow with the hot, dry weather. But uh, yeah, we'll definitely have, we'll be having them next year. I don't know the schedule obviously yet, but generally it starts with the beginning of uh, rifle season um, and usually goes through Nevada Day weekend. Exactly. Well, I can't believe this, but we're already done. <laughs> we're already pretty much out of time. I mean, we have just like a minute or two left. If there's anything else you want to get out there, Nate, while we have you here. Um, you know, again, if you have any questions, you have any concerns about uh, this, you know, bringing stuff in or you might have stuff that shouldn't shouldn't be in the state, you know, give us a call, uh, um, you know, at our at our um it's the 775-688-1500 number, um, you know, or, um, and, and same with that, you know, reporting mortalities, we always appreciate it when the public lets us know, hey, I saw, you know, I was out scouting and I saw dead sheep up here, or I saw, uh, you know, some carcasses of deer in this area. We always appreciate it. Um, you know, the public's our eyes and ears on the ground for a lot of these disease issues. So um, we appreciate things that are brought to our attention especially when we have one wildlife health specialist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, thank you, Nate. That was fun having you. You were such an easy guest. We'll have to get you back here more. I feel like I barely had a talk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. Of course. Well, that does it for this week's Nevada Wild. Thank you everyone for listening. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.